The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay. So th thank you for coming. And uh, I think that this kind of environment is pretty neat for concentration uh, because there's something about uh, the, what supports concentration practice is to be cozy. And one of the very important words in Buddhist concentration practice is the word seclusion. The Pali word is viveka, sometimes translated as uh, non-attachment, sometimes as even liberation or independence. <coughs> but uh, the usual Buddhist tra English translation is uh, seclusion. And uh, there's uh, different kinds of seclusion, but there's also the seclusion that the mind goes into when it gets concentrated. And there's uh, different uh, levels of seclusion as the mind gets concentrated. Different ways in which we are no longer tuned in to the wider world. So we're secluded from thoughts about the past and the future. We're just really here. As we get focused, we tend to get absorbed into seclusion with the object of attention. And so the world around us tends to recede. And so we're secluded from the sounds, the activities that might be around us. And then as we go deeper into concentration, there's also a seclusion from parts of ourselves that usually we're very much in touch with. Uh, an early thing that starts calling falling away a little bit, and then quite a bit, is the boundaries of the body. And, uh, and uh, one sits here very soft and feeling very soft and very relaxed and feeling that with the air around you, kind of the space around you. The most profound form of seclusion that uh, the early Buddhist tradition emphasized was the seclusion from uh, the forces of the mind that cause suffering. And the kind of ultimate purpose of uh, concentration is to come to a place where the mind can be freed of these forces. That's a kind of seclusion. I think sometimes in English the word seclusion doesn't necessarily lend itself to uh, nice, cozy feelings for some people. It, it, seclusion has ideas sometimes of being, uh, uh, being uh, too solitary, being left alone, being secluded. Sometimes it's almost like being excluded. And so it's not a happy feeling necessarily. But uh, I think that that's the intention of the word. It's supposed to be a happy word. So you can maybe translate it for yourself in a different way. Uh, so but anyway, this kind, of, this kind of no light, no electric lights, and being cozy in here and dark, it kind of, um, you know, it's a kind of nice, um, you know, to get settled and just be here. Remind, remind us to be here. And it's more easier to let go of other thoughts and concerns. It makes this moment a little bit more poignant that maybe we're more here in a full way. There's a wonderful story in the suttas of, um, of a king who has a very, very bad conscience. So he's pretty agitated. He can't, he's out pacing in his palace. And, uh, and the reason he has a bad conscience is that he became king by killing his father. So that's not good for your conscience. And uh, so his minister, minister says, you should go see the Buddha. So in the middle of the night, he gathers together his, you know, his uh, equivalent maybe of Bradley tanks, he, he, he gathers, you know, all his uh, war elephants and soldiers and, and uh, heads out to the forest where the Buddha is. 
And he gets to the forest, and there he has to um, uh, get off his elephant because he has to go into the woods. And also he's supposed to approach a, a holy man with some kind of respect. And so he gets off, gets off, and he just walks in with his minister without his soldiers and his guards and his weapons and all that. And, um, but it's dark. And he's been told there are 2,500 uh, monks sitting around the Buddha. I think that's the number. And... Um, and so, um, he, and so he, that's a lot of people. So he comes in and into the dark forest, and there's not a single sound. And he gets spooked. Mm-hmm. And he turns to his minister and says, is this, is this an ambush? Is this a trap? And the, and the minister says, no, no, look over there. In the distance there, there's a little light. And sitting next to that light, I guess, or up, that's the Buddha. And so they went closer. <laughs> And there were 2,500 monastics sitting around the Buddha at night under these trees, and they were all meditating quietly and still. And this this image of 2,500 people sitting that still, middle of the night, meditating, is a powerful image. Is it uh, only some kind of hyperbole from the ancient tradition to kind of exalt the Buddha and the monastics? When I was in Burma, one of the great, really inspiring sights that I heard, saw in Burma was in the med- I, I meditated uh, for eight months in a very large meditation monastery. At one point, there were 5,000 people meditating there. But every morning, uh, I would go to breakfast and uh, uh, I would walk by the woman's meditation hall. And uh, it was a very large hall and two wa- the two parallel walls, the long walls of this big building, uh, was a series of doors, and the doors would always be open, completely open, so you can look right into this meditation hall for the women. And uh, the women always sat completely straight, and they sat in straight rows, and there were 500 women who would sit there meditating. I'd walk by every morning, and I'd be in awe at the stillness, the poise, the dedication, the this intentionality, the sincerity, the stillness, and the, the, the energy of concentration that emanated from that room. It was so inspiring. And um, when I went to the men's meditation hall, which I did occasionally, uh, it was not as inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because the women would sit up straight when they meditated with the poise, and the whole body felt concentrated. For some reason in Burma, uh, the men uh, meditate like this. They would kind of hunched all over. They're almost like they're, they're trying to drop their chin into the lap somehow, mm-hmm. bent over. And now, it seems to work for them because some of them get, med- get enlightened that way. So it's, it's nice to know that your enlightenment is not dependent on your posture. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was not inspiring. But the, these, these 500 women... So, so this idea of the Buddha surrounded by all these monastics and the stillness in the night, uh, it kind of inspires me as something, something like that I'm sure happened back then and it's been happening ever since <clears throat> that uh, people gather together and sit at night in the dark. When I was practicing in Japan in Kyoto in November, uh, uh, we would sit through the day in this retreat and then at about 9, 9.30 or so, uh, 
it was little. It was a little odd. It was uh, it was optionally required, or <laughs> re- you know, required but optional, that we all had to go out and sit um, on the on the on the and Gao the deck that uh, overlooked this little rock, not rock garden really, but this gravel place, and outdoor in the dark and full moon, and it was so pristine and so still to sit out there and meditate. In some ways, it was quite wonderful and cold. <laughs> I mean, the Siberian wind would come down. So here we are. Thank you for coming. And so I hope that this kind of environment is a little bit conducive to what our topic is today. So am I projecting my voice well enough? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So a few things I want to say about concentration. One is that, um, a point I tried to make last week, is that um, if you say the word, get concentrated, as if it's a single thing that we're doing with the mind, uh, most people are not going to get concentrated because it's not a singular activity. Uh, It involves a whole complex of different mental faculties that work together in unison to help us uh, help the mind to uh, be non-dispersed, non-distracted, not fragmented, but gathered together, organized, settled, composed, uh, in a particular direction, focused, you know, on one thing, kind of. And um, and so this idea that just just do one thing, boom, and you get concentrated, we do ourselves a disservice. What's better? is uh, in, in the effort to learn how to become concentrated is to take it as a study in how your mind works. Be curious about uh, the activities that you engage in in order to be concentrated. What do you do? What do you, how do you focus the mind? How do you orient the mind? How do you organize the mind? Uh, what do you engage in? What's useful for you? And each one of you will have a different combination of these inner uh, faculties that you'll use in different ways, different ones you'll use, in order to support you the most, because there's so so much diversity in how our minds work. So it's really helpful to kind of enter into the world of concentration with a lot of respect for yourself and a lot of interest. How does my, what happens in there? What goes on in my mind? And this is one of the reasons why it can be very helpful to practice mindfulness for a while. Learn the basics of mindfulness first so you know how to study your inner life, recognize what's going on and how you engage the mind. When do you start straining? When do you tighten down? What What do you do with distractions? What do you do with disappointment? How do you hold expectations? Um, all these different things that get in the way, and also things that are supportive for you as you get involved. So it's been said that there are two major ways, kind of in terms of category, kind of major approaches for getting concentrated. <clears throat> uh, one is to focus the mind on something. So you get, get, gather together the different faculties of the mind so it's fo- they become focused on some, some object of concentration. The other way is um, to, be, um, to not engage the mind, but to give in 
to a natural interest in something that's very interesting for the mind. And that's part of the problem with difficulty in getting concentrated. Our mind is usually interested in all kinds of other things besides the breath, besides what we're trying to concentrate on. And so we're in a tug of war between whatever interest the mind seems to have and what we're trying to do. Ideally, we want to uh, enter into the world of concentration by being interested in that world, uh, letting it be kind of the, uh, the dwelling place of our interest, our, uh, what's pleasant. And, um, and uh, there's one expression in a text called dwelling with what is dear, mm-hmm. dwelling with what is lovely. For the mind to dwell with what is lovely and interesting for you to stay there. So some of that being interested in something like the breathing, for example, which for many people, if you just tell them, you know, focus on your breath, they say, why, why, why do that? It's an acquired taste. We learn about it, how it goes. But some of it also is to learn that it actually can be better to have a single focus of attention, like the breathing, than it is to have the mind dispersed, jumping around. Because a distracted, dispersed mind is often a mind that uh, can get stressed and exhausted. I find it interesting that for some people, um, uh, doing something like crossword puzzles or reading a nice book uh, can be very relaxing to them. They can help them unwind from the busyness of the day and the mind is maybe spinning a lot and lots of multiple (coughs) concerns. And then as we do the crossword puzzle or or some puzzle, or we're reading a book that is really interesting for us, the mind is still engaged. There's thinking in, involved. There is, uh, you know, processing different things going on, trying to remember words, trying to, you know. It isn't like the mind has stopped thinking, has stopped working. But what's happened is that the mind has now organized itself around one thing, and it's not jumping around to all these other concerns that we have. And often we're interested in many concerns because of our fear, our ambition, our desire, um, and our aversions to things, and they really get our attention. And those are exhausting to stay involved in. And so if we can get interested in one thing that's healthy and lovely and good, and get ourselves organized around it, interested in that, that um, uh, can feel so good uh, compared to how the mind often is. So I say this because, once again, uh, if you think that the, to get concentrated is to, from zero to 60, you're supposed to kind of focus and have a still mind and not have any thoughts at all, you do yourself a disservice. You're allowed to, to use, all your intel, use your intelligence to gather your mind, to focus your mind, to get interested in what you're doing, to learn how to let your distractions and other concerns fall away to the side. And, uh, and what does it take to kind of stay here and be interested and present? And how do we get interested? How do we do this process of self-reflection, self-organizing of the mind so that um, we're not burdened by how we're doing it? We're not trying too hard. We're not straining. We're not trying too little. But we're kind of engaged like... I don't know if it works, this analogy works for all of you, but with a wonderful puzzle that um, you just delight in doing. It's like you do it to de-stress. 
And it just happens to be the puzzle is you, <laughs> is your mind. So, so this idea of being curious and interested, how does your mind work? It has a lot of advantages. One is it brings a lot of self-understanding. And with that wisdom, that you, it's portable. You can bring into your life in other areas. But also, it helps you to kind of organize your mind and your body and your heart in such a way that uh, if you, what you want to do is get really settled and focused, you, ha- you have the tools and the skills to be able to do that. Also, uh, the other thing I'll say before we do a meditation is that... Um, there's another kind of general category distinction that's useful. In, in, pure, in the pure mindfulness or, you know, or practice or classic mindfulness practice, the object of attention is an object. So we're looking at something and having insight into it and understanding the nature of it and really being, it has to do with really focusing and seeing something. So like the breathing. In concentration practice, there might be something that's the object of attention, but we're not actually trying to study the object very much. We're not trying to understand it or see its characteristics of impermanence. We're just using it as a convenient place to settle the mind, to rest the mind, to organize the mind around it so that we can get still. And um, what's more important than the object for doing concentration practice is the subject, which is you. The subjective feeling that comes into play as we start getting concentrated. So concentration practice, to, uh, what I find to make it work well in many circumstances and get wise at it, does involve uh, using two different kinds of attention. One is one that where we let something be at the center of our attention but we also keep alert the peripheral awareness. So it's like the eyes, you have you know, central uh, vision and you can look really carefully at something, but we also have peripheral vision. And in some settings, you might, you might be focusing on some task you're trying to do, but you keep your attention open for peripheral awareness of what goes around you. Like when I was a cook in the restaurants, um, I learned this in the, in the Zen monastery, that uh, it was a lot of people working in the kitchen. There was a dance of people with knives and hot, hot stuff and stuff. And so we had to kind of constantly know where everybody else was in space. But we also had to focus on the work we were doing. So I learned to kind of have the focus on the activity, but also have this relaxed awareness that took in the environment at the same time. So with concentration practice, like you might want to, you know, the focus might be the breathing but you also want to have a relaxed awareness to some degree that takes in peripherally the subjective experience. What hap- what's happening to you as you're doing this? So you can track what you're doing, you can track what happens, you can track the feelings that arise, the shift in, in sensations, shift in, in feelings, emotions, mind states, as you develop the concentration. And this ability to kind of, in a relaxed way, do both uh, it gives you the information to kind of navigate through the area of concentration that you wouldn't have if you just tried to just yoke your attention to the object like the breath and hold on to it for dear life. And, um, that, you know, some people can get concentrated that way and sometimes it's very useful to do it that way, but not in the long term. 
if you want to have a long-term kind of career of developing concentration and practicing it, you want to be able to experiment and learn the skill of taking a f- central focus and this peripheral attention. Does that make some sense? Mm-hmm. You don't have to understand me quite, but in some sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll learn it as we go along. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so, in this idea, uh, we're trying to... So, part of concentration practice is, again, it's not about the focus that you have, but rather how the focus helps shift and change uh, your subjective experience of yourself, of the world around you, and all this. And so, uh, and so when we sit down to meditate and do concentration practice, it's helpful when you first sit down to begin that process consciously and intentionally, to begin shifting and changing your subjective state so that your subjective state is... is uh, optimal enough to support the concentration practice. Uh, so if you've had a busy day and your mind is frazzled, you want to see whatever you can do to kind of reorient yourself from the frazzle of the day and intentionally kind of shift things around in your mind. So your focus, your intention, your sense of purpose, the inner energy in the mind, and see if you can kind of compose the mind and orient the mind for what you're going to do. And uh, some people will do this through a little ritual. Uh, they'll sit down and they'll do a ritual. They'll chant something. They'll chant the refuges or the metta sutta. Some people uh, will um, uh, think about their intention. What's their, my intention to practice now? Some people uh, will take them deep breaths and use the bre- exhales to relax and let go. And, and as a kind of a way of beginning to gather oneself together, show up, Remind myself I'm here, the purpose is to be here, and present for this experience now. So some, some, we do something. Some people have just a very short little thing they do to kind of prepare themselves to really start doing the practice. And some people have a longer thing to do. You know, they have a whole series of sequence they do and, and um, you know, that gets them ready and prepared and in the mood to really do it, you know. So this idea of preparing yourself um, uh, increases the chance that you have a good time with it. Um, you know, if you're just uh, busy just answering 52 emails as quickly as you can and checking various websites at the same time, and you have your other device up on Facebook and checking that, which seems to be what my kids can do now. <laughs> they seem to have, you know. And... Uh, and then just close your eyes and try to sit, you probably find your mind's jumping around a lot. And so you want to kind of get yourself prepared and ready. I've known people who did it by just walking around the block in a mindful way. Just walk, they walk once around the block mindfully, present, by the time they came back, they were really ready to sit and, and meditate. So I'm going to offer you uh, a couple of things to do. I'll guide you in this meditation. As a, uh, with the idea of we're gathering ourselves together, orienting ourselves, aligning the mind for the purpose of concentration, perhaps somehow adjusting the energies of the mind or the, or the subtleness of the mind or the stability of the mind, so that the mind is in a better place, body and mind, to really start focusing. And we'll use the breathing for all of this. Uh, the breathing, we'll use the breathing to 
this process of kind of getting started and then breathing for the concentration practice will do. So um, <clears throat> you can um, take a, a comfortable and alert posture. And gently close your eyes. And as many of you know, who've been here before, when I do guided meditations, I often give the instructions to take a few long, slow, deep breaths as a beginning. But I'm going to guide you to do this a little differently than, or more, more particularly than I usually do. So when you take a long, slow, deep breath, and perhaps letting the exhale be longer than the inhale, you're intentionally focusing on your breathing. It requires effort, it requires focus. And so it's a beginning of connecting and directing the mind and also connecting it to the body. (laughs) By taking deeper breaths, you're feeling the body more fully. And generally, if you take long, slow, deep breaths, Um, you know, the breath gets more interesting because the question is, how long can I do this without, you know, not having enough breath or something? And so what I'd like to suggest that as when I say, take this long, slow, deep breaths, see if you can manage to have each breath last uh, 15 seconds. Mm. So it's four breaths a minute. And so I'm going to, uh, I'll tell you, uh, you know, 15, 30, 45, 60. So you'll know kind of where you are at. Don't worry about doing this right. It doesn't matter. If you end up breathing more often, that's fine. Or less often, that's fine. But um, just uh, take a long, slow, deep breath, and then a longer exhale. Really exhale without getting uncomfortable or getting out of breath, but to really kind of be intentional and settle in. And then as you exhale, to also relax your body, especially when you get to the end of the exhale, can you relax the belly, relax the chest to let there be a little bit more of an exhale? So, Taking a deep breath, slowly and deeply. And when you're ready, you can exhale. Fifteen seconds, so next breath. Thirty seconds. (coughs) 
60. And then we'll do this one more time. And this time it's three breaths a minute. So see if you can have a little bit longer. So 20 seconds. And at the end of, if there's time, at the end of the exhale before the 20 seconds is up, see if you can let there be a momentary, maybe a quarter of a second, pause at the end of the out breath before you breathe in. And then after that quarter second is over, let the in-breath just start up on its own. So then, taking a first breath deep in. And out. Pause, maybe. That's 20 seconds. (coughs) 40 seconds. And 60 seconds. And now you can let your breathing return to normal. Another way of (coughs) settling in at the beginning is to do a seven-point relaxation effort, exercise with the breathing. So seven different areas of your body, like a guided meditation, where you would body scan. I'll direct your attention to some part of your body and then feel it. And then on the exhale, relax that part of the body. And then we'll move to the next part, the next part. And these are broad areas of the body. So just whatever way you can relax. So first, bring your attention to the top of your head, your scalp. Feel what's there. And as you exhale, relax the scalp. You might do that a few times. And then bring your attention to your face and feel what's there, the sensations there. And as you exhale, soften your face.
And then feel your shoulders. And as you exhale, softening around the shoulders. And then your arms and your hands. And relaxing the arms and the hands. And then the area of your rib cage, your your chest, your back rib cage. And as you exhale, relaxing, softening. And then your belly between your diaphragm and your pelvic floor. And as you exhale, soften and relax that whole belly area. As you exhale, perhaps letting the weight of your body settle into your pelvic floor, into your sitting bones. and your feet. And as you exhale, relaxing, softening the legs and feet. And then taking all of those together, your whole body then. And as you exhale, see if you can settle your body into your sitting place. So that your chair or your cushion kind of receives the weight of your body. And perhaps you feel more rooted and maybe even stable sitting here.
And then becoming aware of your mind, your mental activity. Does your mind feel scattered or does it feel activated? Is there some way that your mind can feel more settled? Less dispersed. there can be an inner feeling of that you can bring of some contentment or some peacefulness that you can bring to your mind forces of the mind that makes concentration difficult is anxiety. It isn't that you need to stop being anxious, but it is some way of relating to the anxiety, maybe putting it up on the shelf or Recognize, acknowledging it's there, that allows you to put it aside so that for the purpose of these next minutes, you can experiment now with how you place your attention, how you bring your attention to the experience of breathing. You take your attention and to attend to the body breathing. What do you do with your mind to do that? And are there actually different things you can do, different ways of using the mind? Is there a way of composing the mind on the breathing, for example? Settling the mind. (coughs) 
Is there a way of attending to the breathing that doesn't feel like work? doesn't feel like a duty or a strain. Maybe feels more like play or more like a joy, a delight. Perhaps a kind of meaningful intimacy with yourself breathing. You have your own ideas about what concentration is. That might limit your ability to just take these next minutes to be curious about how the mind can be aware of breathing and what happens as you're aware and What are the different ways to organize yourself mentally so you're curious and interested and involved with the breathing? Like you would if you were absorbed in reading a book or doing a puzzle. For most people, inevitably, the mind will wander off from the breathing into thought. And when that happens, and you notice it, what do you do? What happens to you? Are you frustrated or do you, are you critical, disappointed? Do you rush to go back to the breathing? If 
Developing con- if developing concentration is to develop a relaxed mind, relaxed and focused, is there some way you can return to your breathing in a way that feels like a relaxed, focused return? as if you have no problems with what's going on, no difficulty. It's just another opportunity in a relaxed way to re-engage, refocus. The task is to stay connected to your breathing. But can you experiment to find ways that all that all the ways that you stay connected, all the ways that you return, you stay there, get involved in the breathing. It's all all the ways you do it are pleasant. a sense of ease or peace in the very effort to stay attentive and to return, (laughs) to continue.
And then to end this sitting, you can again take a few long, slow, deep breaths. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So what I'm attempting to do for you is to describe how to have a foundation or starting point to develop concentration practice. So certainly at the beginning of a meditation session, figuring out some kind of little procedure, ritual, way you have to get yourself collected, to really be here, to arrive, to be present, so you can really kind of get, you know, prepare yourself for the, the practice. That's one foundation. The other foundation is to start becoming familiar with how your mind works. Assuming that your mind is your mind. It has its own particular ways of operating. That's No book's going to tell you exactly what to do. No teacher. You have to kind of get curious and see how it works for you and, you, and then learn how to navigate and find your way and know what to call on and what to do and what not to do and to get wise about that. And that's the foundation that is really, really important for finding our way with concentration practice. So before I say more now, uh, in that meditation we did, did any of you discover something interesting about how you attend to the breathing or how your mind works and all this? Was anything New show, new show up for you, or did you learn, or was it just the same old mind? <laughs> yes, and if you have to speak loud so people can hear. Well, when you said attend, attend to your breath, that really spoke to me. Uh-huh. And it, it really, um, I settled, and also I was awake. Mm, nice. So, <coughs> so she said that the when I said to attend to the breath, that really spoke to her, it settled her, and she kind of woke up. And the way she moved her hands was it felt like she got embodied with it. Nice. Yes? Uh, I felt my breathing, the air is different. Like, um, if you have a, uh, a bucket of water, yes. you can put your hands into the water. But also, you could put your hands just on the top of the water. Uh-huh. Like you just be feeling the water. Uh-huh. And I felt like the breathing was like that. Like mm. I was touching my breathing. Very Not nice. Like it was moving and doing uh-huh. something. Uh-huh. And was that more engaging for you or nicer for you to stay with? Yeah. Great. So le- learning how, like that kind of, that kind of adjustment, mm-hmm. learning how the attention can be and how delicate or how not delicate to feel something like this. And that's kind of imagery of going into the bucket or just with your hands. I loved your expression, healing, right? So we said you're healing the water? Yeah, you can feel the water. You're healing. So oh, I didn't say healing. Oh, you should have. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, lo- I just love the idea of healing, you know. Just to, imagine, you know, every, every time you're, you're using that image, when you're concentrating, you're actually putting your hands and healing yourself, healing your breath, and that kind of focus. That's very nice. Anyway, thank you, Anne. Yes? I was going to say, I found the guidance when, when you led us through the parts of the body yeah. to, be, to be very helpful uh, in centering it. But outside of that, when I try to focus on the breath, I, I still struggle to understand the difference really between mindfulness and the way my mind should lead me to breath versus concentration. Uh-huh. Yes, I think that'll become clear as we go along. Right now, the, if, if you're staying with the breathing it, uh, for this point, it doesn't matter so much the difference between concentration and mindfulness because they, 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 uh, both practices are concentrating. And as long as you, your focus is the breathing, you're gathering yourself together, you're stabilizing yourself, you're settling yourself there. And uh, it's, it, you know, right for the time being, don't worry about it. Just make it simple so you can get s- settled. There is something you said about how to approach, how to attend to the breath, how to go to the breath and attend to it. For me, it felt like before that idea that it was a one-dimensional thing, either that I'm observing the breath or I'm somewhere else, it was binary, so to speak. But through your words of attending to the breath and coming to the breath, almost as if from different directions, it opened up a dimensionality that is more, you can, I can approach it from more than one direction. Yes, fantastic, very nice. And so that way you can have different choices and you can use the choice that seems most engaging for you, most interesting, even most pleasant at different times. And sometimes, uh, you know, it helps to be interested in, when you do concentration practice. So if you can sometimes adjust it to be, make it more interesting, for you, that also gets you, you know, engaged. So I saw some hand back there. Yes. You mentioned pausing for a quarter of a second. Yeah. So at the end of the exhale, and I found I recognized this from before. I'm very intrigued by that pause. There's a little gap, and I feel like my mind can sort of relax into that a little bit. Um, Great. So, so, so I, I did a quarter second to make it as, because some people, any kind of pause feels like you're, you, you're going to, you know, like you're going to suffocate or something. It's just it's too much, too much work. The quarter second maybe is safe enough, you know. But if you enjoy it, uh, you might, if it's natural enough, easy enough, you can let, let, extend it longer than that a little bit. And generally, as people get more and more concentrated, around, especially around breathing, um, it's often they find that at some point there's a natural stop there, uh, a pause that's not intentional at all. What I was doing today was to do intentional slightly. And sometimes what I find helpful with doing that is that um, when when I pause intentionally at the end of the out-breath, then I find that um, I don't try to hold it too hard or, you know, hold it, but I find that at some point the in-breath begins naturally by itself. And then I just, I, I relax or give in to that movement. And it has a very nice feeling of I'm, something else is operating here. It feels like even the breath is even more natural than it would no- normally be. It's, it's doing itself, almost. And then I get into a nice rhythm of the breath just breathing itself. A little bit easier by, by using that pause. 
So is, is that, could you relate to what I said a little bit or, or, you can, or enough to experiment? Yes, yes very much. And, but there's one thing, which is that sometimes I get so fascinated with it that I get a little dizzy from not breathing enough. Yeah, a, a ch ch chances are that I'll self-correct. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> yeah, so, so th then you're probably over-involved. And so that's something to learn also about yourself. Rather than feeling bad about that, this, now you get to learn what it's like to be a little bit too over-eager about something or too curious, and it's interfering with the process. So one more, Joe. Yeah. Uh, my mind this evening is just scattered everywhere, and we're normally that way. So I was watching that, and I noticed as I kept watching it that I picked up this tension, and this tension wanting to go with this thought, that thought, that thought, that thought, and they're all kind of invading at the, you know, they're, they're, they're always there. But then that settled, and it just went into this, suddenly I was just focused on my breath. Nice. But I had to go through that tension to get to that place. Fantastic. So you're yeah. saying, so that uh, what, what was propelling these scattered thoughts was that tension, and you brought your attention to the tension. Exactly. And that somehow settled it. Without yeah, as soon as I put my attention on it, it just settled. And, yeah. if you, and if you hadn't noticed that tension, it probably would have kept spitting out more thoughts. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Great. Good. So this thing about the seven points of breathing, it's kind of very, in a, in a kind of very general way, supposed to do the whole body, go through it. Um, and so just, just so you repeat them so you know what they are, if you find that useful. The top of the head, the face, the shoulders, the arms, the upper half of the torso, the bottom half of the torso, and the legs and feet. So those are seven, seven points. And um, some people don't, you know, just having those one... And I know, uh, when I first learned about this, um, the instructions were uh, to, while, while you're doing the seven points, um, to count backwards for each one, you know, seven, you know, for the top of the head, six for the face, five for the shoulders, you know. And somehow that's supposed to, you know, that kind of counting gets you even more engaged. And so it's easier than to, you have to, you have to make more effort so that uh, you're not thinking about what you should buy at the supermarket tomorrow or whatever you're scattered about because it takes a little effort to remember. Six, what's after that? <laughs> so there's all these little tricks people use for purposes of concentration. So, um, so I want to say um, um, low battery. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's 20%, so that should be enough. Hopefully you have enough in your batteries to get us... We have, we have a, so, um, um, so uh, as I said last week, we have all these different kinds of ways that we are aware or add up to awareness or ways we pay attention in a sense. And sometimes uh, we're recognizing what's there especially in mindfulness, this is the recognition factor. It's dark in here, and, and uh, there's individual lights, and we can hardly see the Buddha. And so you recognize these things. And I'm feeling hot. I don't know if you're hot, but I'm hot. I, feel, I recognize the heat. And, um, 
And then there's observation, where the recognition of what's there is not so important. But it's like I'm settling back and I'm just watching. You know, you're sitting on a bench in the park and you just watch the world go by. And you're not so interested in recognizing or labeling what you see. And, you know, you kind of, but you kind of just, it goes by. Or like looking at a river going by, just like you observe it. And, or looking at a fire, you just observe it. And, uh, but you're not really involved in trying to study each little flame. And that flame wasn't the right one. Um, and uh, so somebody has a capacity for observing. Um, we also have a capacity to feel or to sense. And this becomes, I think, I think particularly useful uh, in developing concentration. Uh, and that is, um, so if you, <coughs> if you take your two hands and hold them flat and, and touch your hands together, and maybe, don't press hard, but press a little bit there, so your hands, your full palms, full hands, one hand touching the other, and feel maybe the softness and the hardness of that contact, the warmth. Maybe close your eyes and really feel the sensations that are there. And you might vary the pressure in which you push a little bit, in and out, so you can feel the sensations. Maybe your palms feel dry, maybe they feel a little bit wet. Mm. <laughs> and if we pray enough, <laughs> all kinds of things will happen. <laughs> so, um, uh, so close your eyes and so f- feel your hands, feel the sensations there, the warmth, the tingling, mm the softness, the hardness, the moisture, the dry. And feel how the pressure of your, is maybe moves a little bit around the hand. Sometimes it's in the fingertips, sometimes on the bottom of the palm. And just feel and sense how it is. And perhaps when you feel the place of contact between the two hands, there's just those sensations there and almost as if the hands disappear, like the back of the hand almost is not relevant because you're just feeling the contact and the place that's there. So stay with your eyes closed, stay with your hands. Now, chances are most of you have a dominant hand and a non-dominant hand. And you know, if you were gonna injure your dominant hand, you had to write with your non-dominant hand it, you wouldn't write very well. And this that non-dominant hand doesn't do a good job writing. It's rather embarrassing that you have a hand like this. And, and maybe you shouldn't write and, with that non-dominant hand. And maybe you should avoid it. And maybe you should type. But that's kind of awkward, too, because you don't quite know how to find the keys with that one hand. And, and so there's a lot of issues around your hand, right? Some of your hands are too big. Some people's hands are too small. The fingers are apparently quite important. And then the fingernails and the hands have a lot of issues. So if you spend some time thinking about all these issues you have with your hands, how much do you feel the sensations and the contact that's there? Which might be more pleasant? The unfortunate little story about your non-dominant hand and what that means? And, or is it better just to feel the sensations and the contact? Well, you probably know what I'm expecting as an answer. <laughs> 
So why don't you open your eyes? We can stop that. So what I tried to do, that's maybe a silly exercise, uh, and it's, maybe it was helped to be silly, is that um, uh, there's a distinction to be made between sensing the felt sense, the sensations of things, versus drifting off in our thoughts, ideas, our judgments, our stories about it, what it means, uh, how right it is and wrong it is, and how embarrassing it is, and how it should be, and you know, and pretty soon we lose touch with the sensations, right? Because we are in this world of thoughts. When we do concentration practice, especially when we're doing concentration in the breathing, uh, part of the primary focus, and also sometimes with a peripheral focus, is the sensations. We're sensing what's there. And you, uh, you, you might be observing it, that might be as part of the complex, the ecology of attention, but a very important part is the sensing of it. And resting the attention, or, or taking in the attention, or cruising with the sensations, just being, just feeling and being there with that. And part of why that's useful is that it's a much simpler world than the world of agendas and ideas and what should be happening and engineering our concentration too much. Um, it's a world that's actually, fr- in a pure sensation, is actually free of ideas, free of a lot of concepts. And so to get really concentrated, you don't want to spend a lot of time uh, judging and thinking and planning and, you know, and, you know, and all, re- reacting in your thoughts about what's going on. You want to let the, that part of the mind k- kind of get quiet the discursive mind, the thinking, the conversational mind, get quiet and allow yourself to just be right there. So Anne talked about just feeling the simple contact of the air, right, touching your skin as you breathe, just really sensing and feeling wherever you might be experiencing the breathing. I do it a lot in my belly or or the movements (coughs) of my chest, and I just love to keep my attention there. It's like a home base for me, a place of home. And I just kind of rest down there, and it's a place of, you know, just to feel and sense the sensations and keep it really simple. So this is part, <clears throat> part of what helps support concentration practice is to think of it as sensing. And part of why sensing or feeling of sensations is useful, it also can be very helpful in cultivating concentration practice to become sensitive to when there starts to be pleasure as part of what's going on. So there can be pleasure in the experience of breathing. Certainly not always. But it, once you start getting some, some pleasure or satis- satisfying feeling, some part of the breathing feels smooth or feels light or feels comforting or feels pleasant. It's a lot easier if the mind can concentrated if it's focusing on something which is pleasant. Now, you, <coughs> you can't always have pleasure, so you, to expect that and want that will just give you a headache. But when you sense and feel, that I mean, pleasure belongs to the world of sensing. And so if you start allowing yourself to sense more fully, you're more likely to feel that which is pleasant. 
And the pleasure, the pleasant, the pleasure might be very, very subtle initially. There might be just subtle tingling or warmth or vibration or something that's there. Don't look for like, you know, fireworks. But maybe just enough to keep you interested and keep you engaged and make it, you know, there's, so there's interest there as opposed to making yourself having to work to stay there. And also in this peripheral awareness, and I'll talk more about this next week, that um, as we do get concentrated, there are, there's a feedback loop between getting concentrated and having a variety of different pleasant sensations begin surfacing around the body, different parts of the body. And it can be a simple sense of lightness, feel like weight, like lighter, or some little nice pleasant tingling, or certain parts of the body. Uh, there's a way in which concentration, as we develop concentration, like on the breathing, it's kind of like purring, the, uh, pet, petting the cat. And, you know, you have to have good contact with the cat because the cat has to sense the contact, right? To feel the pleasure. I don't know what cats feel, but, you know, you, you have to do it nicely. You can't do it too hard. It doesn't work too well, I think, to use your fist. You put it in your palm. <laughs> And you can't do it too fast, you know, you want to get it over with. You know, cats need about 12 pets. And so, you know, you just, you know, if you can, and then you've done your duty as the, you know. That doesn't work either, right? But if you want the cat to purr, you have to do it just right. And, um, but then the purring is this secondary phenomena that's not the, what you're focusing on, it's the, so at some point as we do concentration practice, this purring starts happening. Uh, I mean, not literally, but something that's, this, this secondary thing begins happening. And if what you're t- learning to do is to not be so caught up in the discursive thoughts, but you're able to sense more what's going on, then you start tuning into this other dimension of, our, of pleasure that's actually quite supportive and onward leading for concentration. Does that make some sense? Okay, and finally, um, I'm going to say, <clears throat> like, finally, <laughs> we'll see. Um, the, um, um, there are two movements of the mind, two faculties or activities of the mind that this, in Buddhist concentration practice, we put a lot of emphasis on. And uh, the Pali word, you don't have to remember, is vitaka and vichara. And uh, exactly what this means, uh, no one really knows. But different teachers will define it in different ways. But uh, very broadly, what it involves is, um, is something like this, that say your mind wanders off from the breath. There's one thing, one activity of the mind that re-establishes your connection with the breath, comes back and establishes it. So it's, partly it might be a little bit uh, thought, oh, let's go back to the breathing. And then the mind is directed to feel the breathing again. So that movement of directing the mind to connect to the breath, to recognize the breath again. So that's the initial application of attention. And some people are relatively good at doing that. And they can wander off, and they know how to come back and 
come back. But they don't know the second. And the second is uh, the sustained application of the mind. Where you stay there for a while. And it might just stay, and, and some of it might be because very simply, not, to, not discursively, but very simply, you might be actually thinking about it, the breath. Oh, there's the breathing, there's the in-breath. Oh yes, it's, there's the in-breath, there's the out-breath. There's pressure, there's release of pressure. There was a pause. So there's a very rudimentary thinking that kind of helps you stay present, engages you, you're there with it, very softly, maybe. Or maybe it's a silent awareness, where you then, you hang in there. So there's placing the attention, and then there's hanging in there. So here's the analogy I like, is um, riding a scooter. If you're riding a scooter, <laughs> you, know, push, uh, you know, kick scooter, and um, you kick, and it rolls for a while. And if you don't kick again, it stops. So you kick, and then at the right, when it feels just right, your body does the calculation when it starts slowing down or something, you kick again, and you kick again. And uh, if you get some speed, you don't have to kick so often. If you're going downhill, maybe you can, don't have to kick at all, but you kind of coast, you're going along. So the initial application is kind of putting yourself there is the kick. And the sustained attention is just coasting with attention for a while, as long as it lasts. It's not going to last that long in the beginning. And then you have to redo it again. You have to kind of very gently give a little more oomph. Okay, here, okay, okay. And then you coast, you see how long you can coast with the sensation, to stay present for it. The mind will wander off or you'll feel less momentum or you'll get disconnected a little bit. And then you have to reestablish. And then you coast. And over time, the coasting go longer and longer. And over time, at some point, when you're really concentrated, it's like uh, you don't have to make any effort anymore to coast. But generally, at that point, it doesn't feel like coasting. It feels like you're just rooted, just there. And so the, the Buddha uh, used a different analogy for this because they didn't have scooters then. <laughs> um, he talked about... Um, uh, I'll make it simple by changing the, the material. Uh, if you're going to make um, dough out of flour and water, you have the flour in the bowl, and then you sprinkle water in, and then you <coughs> might take your hands and you knead uh, the flour and the water until all the, all the water is saturated throughout the flour, so no flour is dry but you're massaging it, right? And massaging it is, is like you're, you're there, you make an effort, and then you let go. You make an effort, and you let go. And it's kind of a little bit of work. So initially, as people get, get going, start getting concentrated, there is a little bit of <coughs> this effort that we have to make that's kind of like a massage or like pushing a scooter. And if you think, I'm just going to hold my attention, it's never going to waver ever again, 
um, that's just going to give you a headache, a lot of disappointment. But initially, it's a loving, relaxed, soft, delighted, hopefully. Come back. Let's all stay there. Coast, feel, apply the attention, sustain the attention, massage the attention. Keep coming back. Keep staying, returning, staying, returning. But learning how to do it in a way that's not stressful, not tense, that you're not demanding, that the very way of doing it, of coming back, of focusing, of being, of staying present, feels enjoyable, like a massage or as a something that you know, like a, you know, enjoy pushing the, the scooter or, or you know you can come up with your own analogy. But the, the important thing is not to make concentration work work and a duty and a burden and it's better to have it be play 